Hello, Scotty. Hello, John. This is a little deja vu. What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm well, ready to podcast. Let's just make it work perfectly the first time. Something, something you know, in my psyche just sort of recalls doing this about an hour ago. I think you're lying, Scotty. And there's no way for you to prove that that's the case. Oh, no, no, no. To... I still have my recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't have it, but you certainly wouldn't reveal to the world outside the screen grab of my beautiful 200K waveform that is completely flatlined. We, I think uh, people do love the uh, an image of a good audio signal. Um, the trouble is your, your image is of no audio signal. Yeah. <laughs> but there we are. I think we'll, we'll put that in the show notes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think to be honest, um, you know, if we managed to get all the recordings done, we'd be on about episode 742 by now. So. Yeah, this, this is a kind of a limiting <laughs> thing. Well, I mean, it was an interesting out-of-box experience. I was late to get back. I had ordered this thing on your suggestion. It is a much better unit, the other one. But, you know, I was struggling to to, to open up the, the, the packaging containing the SD card without slicing my hands apart. Because that's just, like, unbelievably bad packaging. Oh, yeah. that that is That is just horrible always, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then got it in, and like I figured, okay, the magic of this is you just turn it on. But in fact, turning it on by itself is not enough if you don't turn on auto level set. And uh, anyway, so take two. But uh, it's nice that you can actually see the recording level, and the, the screen is backlit. That's kind of cool. But we're not. Gonna... So, so you 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 basically recorded a podcast by taking a recorder out of its sealed box mm-hmm. and turning it on. Yeah. <laughs> and and you realized you didn't have auto level set, and I guess your game was on zero. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Well, now that you put it that way. (laughs) Shut up. I'm not talking to you anymore. (laughs) No one would know if you did or you didn't anyway. (laughs) No, you know know what the problem is? You know what the problem is? Is that I'm spoiled by Apple products because you take them out. The out-of-box experience is completely pleasant. You don't have to slice, you know, slit your wrist while by opening it. Somebody spends a ton of time so that when you kind of hold up the container, the bottom part of it kind of floats down. I'm talking about like an iPhone packaging. You pull it out. It's charged. You turn it on. It has a welcome message. All the settings, for, you know, the best settings, the most reasonable default settings are in place. The out-of-box experience with this thing is like, that's yeah, you know a little bit better than than, than being shot upon, but not much. And uh, so no, I, it's like you expect things to work, but but I now realize that I can't have that expectation anymore for any for any run of the mill product. And uh, lesson learned. The, the difference is this thing has uh, about six buttons on it. If it was an Apple product, it would have one exactly. Um, this thing was one hundred and twenty bucks, one hundred and thirty bucks. If it was an Apple product, it'd be six hundred bucks. So. <laughs> That's the, the probably the main difference. I see. Well, you come to appreciate the added investments they make. But this is not the only failure that we wanted to discuss today. Can I discuss the, another failure? John, this has become a catalogue of failures. Let's just keep keep them going. What have you failed out this week? <laughs> we should really just call this. We don't have a podcast. We have a fail cast. It's like either we fail to record it or we're yeah. talking about the, failure. The I Failed podcast, <laughs> oh yes. <my> <laughs> Oh my god! Okay, and John, we're lining you up for failure of the week. <laughs> All right. Well, the failure of the week is here: is that um, we are now approaching what we call our quiet period, which uh, 
which means we don't ship new versions of the app past, you know, in, in another couple of weeks, we're, it's going to be the last submissions we can, we can make in the app store. Um, and that's because we want to maintain the stability of, of, of the service when it's most critically needed, i.e. the holiday period when you're traveling and having to spend time with people you can't stand because they're your family that you, you just don't like or, or maybe you're in airports and you're, you're bored because your flight was delayed or whatever. That's, that's when you need to be able to press play on the crown and have it work flawlessly. Um, and by the way, season three of the crown is, is grand. You should be watching it if you're not already. But anyway... Um, so, you know, there's a, a, a kind of a, a mad scramble to make sure that all the A-B tests that you want to run or all the features you want to get in uh, are, are in. And one such thing that I had been working on earlier was a new post-play experience. And part of it, post-play is when, you know, for episodic content or at the end of a movie, end of a series, end of an episode of a series, you know, it says, hey, would you like to watch this? And in the case of something that, that that's episodic, it's like, would you like to go to the next episode? And most people, if they're binge watching, want to smoothly go to the next episode, but that you want to still give them the, the choice of watching credits or maybe, you know, doing something else. Uh, and so uh, there was a, a simplification of the design because we had lots of different uh, concepts for it. Now we had a kind of a streamlined, unified experience. And the original design called for a new animation style. So instead of the button changing to say, you know, next episode in five, four, three, two, one, or whatever, whatever the countdown duration was, um, it's just a, the, the button stays the same. It says next episode, and then there's an animation that appears in the, behind it, kind of like a progress bar. And I had fun. I enjoyed making it and making a nice button that could do it. Didn't matter what the duration was. And the animation has a completion handler during which time it can go on and do the next thing, which could either be go to the next episode or or do nothing, depending on what other actions the user took while the animation was taking place. And it's a very simple core animation, uh, a very simple UI view kind of animate and then with a completion block. And so I was I, it, it, this was something that I programmed a while ago. But it was decided not to productize it in the first instance because we were wanting to test it on other platforms to make sure that 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 concept works on on, on other experiences besides mobile. So I said, "All right, fine, great." Um, since I had a strong inkling that that we would do it, uh, and since we were shipping it with a, a, an older style in the meantime, because there are other aspects of the design that we wanted to get out there, I basically made a, a, a an IVAR in the class saying, you know, to th that you could change it. And you could set it, and I, I snarkily put in the comments, I said, you know, when we come to our senses, I have this habit of doing it. People find it amusing, and they read my code. And so, in fact, I was right. We're productizing it, so I set it to yes, and the world was wonderful, and I'm saying, great, this is off my plate. This will ship, no problem. Uh, but since we have lots of testing suites, all of a sudden I got these emails, these automatic Slack messages saying, hey, this particular post-play test is failing, and your last commit was this, so please have a look which I did, and I, I ran the test on my, my device locally, and I'm like going, nope, ran fine, I don't know what's going on. And I walked to the test engineer, and I said, well, yeah, it, it works sometimes on some devices with iOS 13, but fails all the time on iOS 12 and fails on many devices for iOS 13, so there's something going on, let's go take a deeper look. And, and, and so I was going over with him what the changes were, and I said, this, this doesn't make sense, because really there was very one small change to the fact of the animation was doing this. And so we were looking at the logs, looking at the logs, and there's this little statement, and this is not our code, but Apple's code for their UI testing framework saying, waiting for app to be idle. And then he, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course you can't <laughs> tap on a button if the app's not idle. It's like, what do you mean the app's not idle? It's not doing anything else. And, and, and it says, well, let's change. It's like, there's an animation. Well, your app's not idle then. 
And I just, I, I slammed my head against the wall. I said, you've got to be kidding. So, and, and this is really a, a true case. If, if you have any type of animation that's going on in, in your app, it effectively means that you can't use the automation to be able to tap on a button because the, the, it, 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 there are different phases to an XCUI element uh, in its life cycle. One is you can ask, is it visible? Is it visible on the screen? And that's very good. And that you can find out, is, is it present in the view hierarchy in some way? And that that's good too. Uh, but the is hittable property of it is only true when the app is idle and the app can't be idle if you got animation going on. So here's a little pro tip to all you listeners out there. Don't have animation in your app. If you want to be able to automatically test it, <laughs> and which, which I can't believe I've said it, but it's true. But it, what it fundamentally means is that now in order to make the test pass and to be able to make a valid test for what we were actually trying to test in that particular one is, was to be able to say that when the post-play experience became visible, and there were options, and one of the options were, would you like to go see some supplemental content? So there's another view with an image that and a button on top of it. Um, the, the test that was failing was that one, because basically while the animation on another button was running, you couldn't select, you couldn't tap that other element. So I then rewrote my code in the app and said, well, essentially, if we're doing automated testing, take the original route that had been there, which uses an NS timer to change the, the text label of the button to do the countdown rather than a core animation on the button's layer. Um, and it, it solved the problem and didn't really compromise that very, very specific test for the functionality that it was being tested. But it also means that there's no way to be able to test an animated button that is visible in the hierarchy and can be tapped on it by a human with no problem the automation test can't do it, which means that you can't really test with automation the app as it runs, which is, is so infuriating. It just, it makes me want to scream. And I, I am going to spend some time to make a very simple reduction, send it off with a radar. And I'm going to guess that it's a duplicate and there are probably millions of duplicates for it. But uh, this was a major fail and I can't even take credit for it. <laughs> no, this is someone else's fail. So I mean, it can't even be your fail for the week. Uh, it's um, yeah. I, I didn't realize that you couldn't um, interact with the application when it was doing something. But that now you've said that, it makes total sense. Um, for people who have not run UI tests before, they they do run incredibly slowly, and sometimes your app just you know you you say you know you set up the UI test, you say you know, click this button, then click the resulting drop down, and then click you know this thing and then check that this appeared or whatever else that's the type of thing you might be writing and you know the the time between it clicking the button and then selecting the next thing it can sometimes be you know like a few seconds you know whereas if we were just doing it by tapping by hand it would be almost instantaneous and you know i've always well wondered maybe too strong a word but yeah it's always frustrating me but that's been so slow but you're right if you're watching the logs go by in um uh, in Xcode in the console, it, it is constantly saying waiting for app to be idle. Um, I just never put the two together. <laughs> then it has to wait for the app to be idle before it can do uh, the next interaction. Um, but it's it's only if you want to like click something or select something, you can still you can still query values within the app while it's doing stuff, can't you? Yes, you can. So, but it, it, it's it's weird. Um... Uh, and there's there probably is some quote unquote reasonable explanation, but it, it also a, a lot of times makes sense. You know why 
other comments I'd seen in the code where animation was turned off, it made sense to me. And I had actually was talking with another automation engineer. He goes, yeah, well, the fundamental reason why we've been turning off animation is because it just makes the test run faster. Like if you can say, hey, set an animation time of zero in order to for some view to be presented. Because, you know, there are lots of different cases when you use animation. A lot of times animations are used for transitions, right, when you're presenting a new view controller. And I get it, you know, if, if you're going to... Um, you know, want to run an automated test suite, you don't care. You just want to say, get the get the view presented, and then I'm going to start acting on it. But in this particular case, the animation was really part of, of the UI as it was going on. So it is subtly different. But were I to, you know, th there was a suggestion made by my colleagues. Oh, yeah, just, you know, use this this argument where you can turn off all animations. They said, what does that mean exactly? I said, well, it just, it overrides the timing for all animations and sets the duration to zero. I said, well, I could do that, but that would fundamentally break the functioning of the program because the way it works is like the, the there's a button and there's a timer for it, and if you get to to the completion of it, unless you'd canceled by by doing something else, it's going to basically go on and and fire off the action that was associated with that button, which in this case was you know advance the next episode. So if where I, where I set the to set the animation timing uh, to zero. It would basically present the the view and immediately go to the next episode. So it would completely short circuit the ability for the test um, to be able to try a different code path. So there really there's fundamentally no way to be able to test this app with automation in the way it actually runs. And it's only because I had I had maintained the old code path um, that we can let it run with an automated test, at least to test the very very specific functionality. But this is a case where you know my best judgment, and I, I think I stand by the decision, as, to, as do my my colleagues, saying yeah, for this purpose it's okay to do it. But it just it just means that now I have to kind of think about writing code to be able to work around problems in the automated testing of the code, which is is absolutely infuriating. So, I mean, it raises a couple of questions for me. Um, uh, so the first one is you said that when the app is running in a UI test, you don't do this animation, you go back to, or you do something different. I would say. Um, so how have you chosen to indicate to the app that it's running as part of a UI test? Um, there are, are launch arguments that we use. And so that basically sets a value in, in user defaults, and then you can read it. So, and that, that's easy enough to do, and that, that's pretty common. So, yeah, I think that, that in any modern code base that has automated testing, you'll see these little comments saying, hey, here are some things. Because uh, it, it also makes sense from what you said and what I've read in the comments about why they would change the, the timeout values. Because, and that's another case. Like, oftentimes, you'll have a timeout value, which is relatively quick because a human being can make a decision pretty quickly. And uh, there are oftentimes where we have to set the, the, the duration of something to longer uh, that, and usually it's like timeout values for you to keep trying, keep trying to be able to see is the, is the app, you know, in a particular state so that you can go on to the next state. Now it makes sense why it is. And so it really just comes down to this question of, of, of idling. And it, this is a black box thing that, that no one really outside of Apple can understand. Yeah, I had a situation the other day doing a UI test, whereas when you, when you uh, press the button for it to do something, a spinner and a message would appear on the screen. And then that spinner and message would disappear when it finished. Um, now, you know, the, the UI test was trying to check that that message was being displayed and it was the correct message when this happened. Um, but of course, because of the nature of what was going on, the um, uh, the amount of time that that 
message was on the screen would vary. And if for some reason uh, the action completed very quickly because of the way UI tests run, uh, waiting for things, it may not have been able to grab hold of that element from the UI uh, before it disappeared again. Um, yeah, so I then had to write a bunch of code in the UI test to say, well, look, if I manage to get the element, let's test that it's right, but I'm not going to fail if I didn't get the element because it may have just been too slow. So, and I'm working on the assumption that the test will sometimes get the element and sometimes won't. So eventually I'll catch it. There's a problem, <laughs> which isn't right. the best way of doing thorough no. testing, but it was about the only way to do it just then. <laughs> um, I mean, but that was writing conditional code in a test to say sometimes this test will pass, sometimes it, it won't. Um, but you, I, I, we think we had a discussion a few weeks ago about, you know, is it valid to put code, have a different code path for testing? And, and at what point does it become you're now testing a different app because you have so many different code paths in there now we i know we had that discussion whether it made it into a show or not is another matter um, but um, as, long as, as long as we had it since no one listens that's all that really matters uh, yeah and and we know that um uh billy fishfinger is on on tour <laughs> so he's probably not listened to many podcasts although he could be listening to loads if he's doing lots of time on the bus um <laughs> gotta let that one go we've gotta let that one go um it's uh yeah, so, you know, in the moment, you're just turning an animation off for testing. But, you know, sometimes, you know, what is it, you know, at what point are you now, um, you know, invalidating your test by the fact you're you're no longer testing the, the real application? I mean, what I'm thinking here is let's say that, you know, the logic becomes that you've got, if this is true and this is true, you're turning this on and off in testing and you end up with about six different things. And then, you know, surely that suddenly makes it, possible to write accidental code where you can have stuff that only appears in testing and doesn't appear when it's not testing but you might think it does but because your ui test will can test what it sees you're going to assume that this new button is now in the application ship the thing and it's not in the application um that's assuming that nobody looks at it outside of ui tests of course which i'm sure isn't true yeah so at what point do you start actually compromising your own testing uh, and your own app by having all this logic in there to say, well, if I'm testing, do this, and if I'm not testing, do that. Um, you know, one toggle switch for an animation isn't isn't it? But you know, these things have a habit of growing, don't they? So they do. So I am. It's something I will discuss with my colleagues and kind of figure out what's the best course of action. <clears throat> yeah, I put some. Um, I, I did something similar uh, for unit testing actually this week. Um, when you're when you're running unit tests, which run in process with the application um well if you use the at testable when, when you're doing unit tests obviously you, you've got that you can use the at testable um which will bring in all the classes from the the app that you import into the unit tests um and a side effect of that is the application gets launched as part of the unit tests um or the alternative is you just make sure that all of the code files are um added to both the test target and the other target, but that's a complete pain in the backside and often gets missed. But sometimes when you're doing things that uh, ultra specific file, to so say user preferences might be a good example. Um it's you know, the application if the application is started up, it's going to be doing things. Uh whereas, you know, and your unit tests might be doing things. And so I've had this before that especially in an asynchronous environment where you're trying to test something, but because the application is started up, something's gone on in the background and changed something. So I just added some code to our application this week 
that in the um, app delegate on the app did finish launching um, just basically looks and says am I running inside a unit test because you can tell uh, there is an environment variable set if you're running inside uh, that, that uh, it gets sorted right if, if you're running inside a unit test so you can tell in your code um, so in there I just if it is running so you know, I just don't do anything I don't don't open the main window don't um, you know don't kick off any of the background tasks it's just there because the app doesn't need the unit tests don't need the app to be running it's just a side effect of using at testable to import everything in there to make it work um, and, and do it and then hopefully then the integrity stays so um, I think that's fine if anybody thinks that that's not fine and I'm breaking something I'd love to know <laughs> But it does it does mean the app doesn't fire up, or the app still fires up, but the app doesn't go and do anything in the background that might um, uh, break the integrity of um, doing unit tests. And, and unit testing anything, um, having this discussion recently with someone about unit testing view controllers, uh, unit testing anything that does something without you having to tell it to do something it becomes quite hard because say you say you have a, a view controller that when it gets instantiated or when the view did load goes off and fires up a whole bunch of network tasks for something to get some data um which it shouldn't be as a view controller really because you should be moving that somewhere else um you know if you try and instantiate that you that view controller in a unit test then it goes off and does a whole bunch of stuff um you can get a whole bunch of side effect consequences because that means that unit that view controller may exist for a little while outside of the test things come back and it does those things so really for unit testing you want to you don't want things that automatically do things so really uh view controllers if they do need to fire up some stuff straight away they should be you know calling back out to something through their delegate or something to do it so that you can just replace all that in unit tests so it doesn't happen but so it's, you but you end up again writing you know, there is a difference, I think, between though designing things to be testable and writing code to make it testable. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think design is good. Having to write stuff to make it testable is bad. Anyway, there we are. To- totally off track there. I don't know how we got there. Now, well, all... Scotty, let, let's get away from failure and talk about success. What else have you been doing in your successful life? Uh, <laughs> my successful life would i describe it that way right now um no what okay well something i've been doing whether it's successful or not but i find interesting this week is i've been reading a book called shape up i think it's called shape up um in moment it's just an online book you can read it as a downloadable pdf or as, as the website and it's from uh the folks at Basecamp um or 39 39 signals 37 signals <laughs> You've got me questions. It's 37 signals, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was 30. A random number of signals, um, <laughs> as they, they were. Um, we won't express which type of randomizer they were using. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, the the people at Basecamp, because we know it's called Basecamp, you know, are quite renowned for the way they do things, their employment, you know, the way they employ people, the way they do their working hours, the way they like move to a four day week in the summer, um, so everyone can enjoy the, the sunshine and, you know, do five day weeks in the winter. So they've they've always been quite innovative in the way they run their company and do software development. And um uh, this book is basically the the process that they use it a description of the process they use internally to develop Basecamp and they called the book shape up i'm not sure if they call the process shape up because now just to say i've only skim read the book 
Um, I, uh, when I come across a book that's about some sort of technique or something, I tend to try and fly through it as fast as I can, just reading a few headlines, reading a few paragraphs here and there to get a sense of what it's about to, to say, is this something that interests me enough that I should put the hours it's going to take to read the full book in there, which means I may have misunderstood some things and I may have, um, you know, got the wrong end of the stick, as they would say, on, on certain things and, and discover I'm wrong later on. But someone will correct me or I'll correct myself should I read the rest of the book, which I think I'm going to. So anyway, uh, this, this process they do is um, they, they, they break it into two stages. They have what's called shaping and then what's called building. And in the shaping, they, they look at things that are needed and they try to, you know, they have this whole process for working out what it is they want to do without going into minutiae detail and keeping things very basic but enough to understand what's going on. And they go through stuff. And at the end of this uh, sort of shaping period you know they have what they call a number of pitches so they basically the goal is is you need to have a pitch for what it is you think should happen within the within the, the project the application and then uh once that once they have these pitches they they turn up at a, a, a the pitch meeting um the pitches are made and then they do what they call betting on, on the pitches now the reason they call it betting as opposed to choosing it's effectively what it's doing they're going to choose which of these pitches to do in the next development cycle, uh, which for them is six weeks. They have six weeks development cycles because uh, they find that's what works best for them. Um, but they call it betting because it's basically you are betting the value of the next six weeks of time on this thing that you're pitching. Uh, and they want to have that sort of concept of value. Equally, they call it betting because is your betting you can get it done because they have a policy that things have to be done in a cycle and if at the end of the cycle the feature is not ready it doesn't just roll into the next cycle and run late it's gone it gets chopped the bet failed move on um uh, and they and they're quite rigid about that that doesn't mean someone can't come back and pitch later to say let's let's put another pitch into um correct what went wrong in that last one and get this right but it, it doesn't just automatically roll over it doesn't go into the next cycle it has to come back for another pitch thing at some point and of course yeah. so yeah, i just found that an interesting concept equally these pitches once the pitch meeting's over and they've chosen however many pitches they're going to do in the next cycle the pitches aren't stored they're not saved they're not put in some backlog somewhere to to be next time that's it they've gone um there's a company that said they were there for that meeting they've now gone now as an individual or maybe it's a department or whatever it might be how it's working if you feel there was a pitch that it's time maybe just wasn't right right now but it's still a valid pitch and you wish to archive that to use again later you can but there is no company-wide backlog of pitches to be done um and they do this on the basis that they see backlogs as oppressive yeah, if you've got a thousand things that you think need to be done to the app, that firstly can be quite depressing. Um, about makes you feel that there is so much to do that you you can feel overwhelmed by the application. Um, but equally, they feel if you have a backlog of a thousand things to do on the application, it prevents innovation of thinking because you've got all this stuff already. Why should I think of new stuff? Whereas starting from a a clean sheet every single time you 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 come to the shaping section and the pitching section and then the betting section um encourages people to bring fresh ideas and new things um, as well as bringing back old things do they want to 
So they do that and they make their bets and then uh, their software development teams might contain them. They have multiple teams, um, may contain a designer and one developer or a designer and two developers or maybe three developers. And then this six weeks, the the um, when they move into the build cycle, the, the team there um, are basically guaranteed no interruptions. In other words, uh, during that six weeks period, there will be no... Um, you know, uh, employee reviews or company meetings or or whatever else they have. You know, you've got six weeks to deliver this feature, and you will not be disturbed while delivering this feature. Um, and the team has a lot of autonomy to say, well, the feature was you know this big, but in six weeks we can't. You know, we're two weeks in, we can't realistically um, deliver that. So, what if we delivered this part of it? Um, so we're always guaranteed that at the end of the six, so the team is very much encouraged to at the end of six weeks deliver something, even if it wasn't quite what was going to be delivered. You're still delivering. In other words, you never you never get to this. Well, if, give us another two weeks, we'll get it done because you're not going to get them. You know, so there this point of no team wants to not deliver for things, so they 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 adapt and adjust. And often, what comes out is just as good as what you were planning, or even better sometimes because the pressure of trimming worked really well. Uh, in there so that's uh uh you know quite interesting again its own right they have a very much in their build cycles this concept of you know deliver something really early trying to deliver something in the first week so that someone can make a comment on it as opposed to just not not show anything till the end so it's um that was interesting and then at the end of their six week um uh build cycle they have what's called a cooling off period where they have two weeks uh when everyone just does what they want um, and that's where the time where, you know, that bug that's really been annoying you, um, gets fixed or you wanted to go and see what it was like to try this in Swift instead of Objective C. Um, so it, it's sort of, it's, uh, exploration time or how I personally want to improve the product time for two weeks. Everyone gets refreshed at the end of those two weeks, the next six week cycle starts and you're off again uh, in there. Um, Obviously, they are a. I'm going to call them a medium-sized company. They're not large, but they're they're definitely not two or three people. They have multiple teams, um, and so the book also contains some stuff about how this might work for smaller companies. Although I don't necessarily get all of it because it's dealing with some nuances which I haven't picked up from the skim reading. But they are saying it can work. But they're saying, yeah, maybe if you're just one team, this doesn't work. But I found the whole idea of no backlog, uh, being fresh each time, throwing things away. Not putting something in the product if you didn't finish it, you knew you never roll over. Um, so that encourages you to trim till you can make it work. Um, and then this concept of a cooling off period before you churn round again. All those things I found quite refreshing and quite interesting and wanted to sort of explore for ourselves in how we might take on it's not a procedure, but take on some of that in how we're working with Moneywell to encourage us to keep it fresh and not have this huge backlog in our head and everything. So I just find it quite interesting. I'll put a link in the show notes to the book um, and um, I'd love to hear other people's opinions on it. Do I con- Am I considered another person? You are. I would love to hear your opinion on it. Uh, it sounds like a great book. I think one thing that really stood out to me is this idea of, of not holding on to a backlog and kind of the good and bad part of it. Um, because when I did my hack week uh, last time, I, I, I discovered after I started working on it, there actually had been a test earlier, which did something quite similar. Um, and I think that had I seen, had I known about it, 
and saw that it didn't get productized, I might have then said, oh, well, <clears throat> there's no way to make it work, so I'm not even going to bother. So I think it's actually a good technique because sometimes ideas uh, are just not the right time, right? You may need some confluence of other things in order for, for a particular idea to work. So, but, so that if you don't put that as the institutional memory, it allows people to come in fresh and have their enthusiasm for an idea not be, you know, tampered down by, you know, understanding that something had been tried before. Yet at the same time, when, when you, you make it clear that you're going to try something, somebody else can say, oh, well, this might help you in your execution of it. Um, and they may have held on to some notes or something about it. So I think it, it, it's good. Plus, I also like the idea of that cadence because it, it you know, it, there is something to about about being forced to trim. Doesn't mean that you can't improve it afterwards, but it's better to 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 add on to something that's a very clean slate and not have a bunch of uh, semi baked ideas. So it sounds really good. I, I I would give it my thumbs up. I'm going to read it. Well, Scott, yeah, and it, I've got it. I've skimmed it, but it's actually not a very long book. It's also it wouldn't take that long to read. So yeah, I I will say we'll put a link in the show notes, and we'd love to hear other people's comments. All right. Well, Scotty, if since uh, for people can, who can comment, if they wanted to comment and say uh, thank you, Scotty, for not having you know shit canned your incompetent host who can't be able to is, is incapable of making a, an audio recording, where might they do that? It's. Uh... I've just had this thought. I don't know if you've been watching. Um, you probably haven't, but uh, there's uh, an H- I think it's HBO. I don't know who's done it anyway. Um, Watchmen, the new series of Watchmen, uh, is on, and um, there's uh, this one character in this this show that has uh, these servants who are clones, and he keeps killing them and making another one. Um, <laughs> who are identical? And I'm thinking maybe maybe that's just you know you are one of these incompetent. Uh, useless clones and you keep having to die and another one just gets made and nothing changes (laughs) (laughs) another great fail Um, people can speak to me on twitter as mac devnet or micro.blog is scotty and john if people wish to pour praise upon you for your um, magnificence in solving your failures this week how should they do that well, they should go to the place that is all about happiness and not failure of any kind. That's Twitter, where you will find me as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And of course, if 280 characters is just not enough and you wish to send us a novel uh, <laughs> describing your dissatisfaction with our product, uh, <laughs> then please feel free to uh, send it to feedback at iDeveloper.co, where not only myself, but Sam and a number of other people get to read it and laugh at your, uh, your opinions of us. <laughs> okay. So, John, um, uh, we'll chat again in an hour? <laughs> an hour plus one week. <laughs> It is well. Okay, I look forward to speaking to you next week. (laughs) And hopefully people will be able to comment on what they've heard this week. We're going to check that audio signal now and hopefully it's not flatlining. (laughs) Because (laughs) if it's flatlining, there may be one other member of this team who is also flatlining. (laughs) (laughs) But until next time, thanks for listening and you take care. Thank you.